If you could, just uh, open your Bibles to uh, John chapter 13. That's where we're going to be this morning for most of our time. And if this is your first time here, we're, we're really glad that you're here. And you can probably see that this is a really special moment in the life of our church. And, and we want to be thankful for what God's done. We, it blows me away to see all the things that he's done in this church, uh, at, in the church as a whole and in the lives of some of the individuals that I'm, that I'm looking at across this room right now. Like, uh, I'm just so thankful for what he's done. And so for those of you who may be here for the first time, you may be wondering, you know, why are these people so excited? What's going on here? What's, what's happening? Uh, why are they running around like crazy this morning trying to figure out what they're doing? Well, we're running around like crazy because it's the first time in this building. And so we're having, you know, we're kind of having some transitions and some difficult times getting in here. Uh, but we're excited because this is a special celebration for us. Uh, Heather and I actually weren't able to be here from the beginning of Sulphur Community Church from where it started. But uh, if you talk to Blake and Ashley or to some of those that saw this church come up kind of from the ground roots, they can surely attest to God's goodness and his faithfulness to, the, to this church body. And we are so thankful that, that we're able to be a part of this. But, uh, and so Heather and I became a part of Sulphur Community Church when we met in the library at LeBlanc Middle School. And so... Uh, that was a special time, and, and it hit me when we were praying in the hall last Sunday. You know, we would pray, uh, we would pray in the church uh, or in the school uh, every every Sunday before church, and we were praying for the last time uh, in that hall, in that school hall last Sunday morning. And man, it just hit me how great of a time that it's been there, how great it's been to be able to celebrate at, at LeBlanc Middle School, to be able to connect with the students and with the teachers there, and to be able to to develop that community. And uh, hopefully, if, if, things are, if things go correctly, and, and if we do things correctly, we'll be able to continue that partnership with LeBlanc. And we are so thankful for, for, what, for what they've allowed us to be able to do, which is a blessing from God in, in the beginning anyway. But we're also thankful that, that we're able to continue that, that partnership with them. But God has also, uh, as me and David were talking about a little bit this morning, he's continued to open doors for us as a church, uh, give us opportunities here. We get the opportunity to be part of another community, to develop new relationships, and to to partner with SC3 to make much of God in this neighborhood. And so we we are so thankful for that. And so I've talked about buildings and locations and kind of things to that, you know, logistical things up to this point. But what we're most excited about is that God is working in the lives of the people in this church. And if you talk to Blake, the way that it looks, the way that this church looks right now is completely different than, than what they had anticipated from the beginning. But God is, is working and he's working in the lives of these people and in this community and he's going to accomplish his purposes. And we are so thankful for that. I know I just keep saying, like, man, I'm so thankful because this morning it's just kind of all coming on me at once. And so one of the ways that God has been doing this, has been working in our people, and has been, uh, you know, just how it's been special is that he's working through, this, through, this, through our study of the book of John. And so we've been walking verse by verse through the book of John uh, since last May, I believe. And I hope if your experience has been like mine and John, that you get to see the simple words that Jesus that Jesus has, or, or that John has for his people, the, the simple words, but the profound claims and the major implications that can be made from what's, from what's being said in the gospel. And that these have caused you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing that you may have life in his name. And for those of us that are believing in Christ, we can say that we are convinced that we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father who is blessed forever. And so we... 
we're so thankful for the book of John and for what, for what it's done within our church community. And so we get to see even more of his glory today uh, as we see Christ's personal and intimate encounter with his disciples. It's, it's going to be a very intimate encounter. So to do my best to try to catch you up to speed to where we are, I want to give you an idea of what's just happened in the text so that what, what we've been going through for the last couple of weeks so that we can attempt to understand, you know, try to put ourselves in the place of, of what's going on there as well as we possibly can, obviously. So uh, when chapter 13 begins, we see that Jesus is moving from his public ministry where he has gloriously revealed himself as the Christ. He has revealed himself as the Christ to his, to his people and to those uh, within, within Israel uh, by the perfect life that he's lived in obedience to the Father and the miracles that he's performed as well as some of the astonishing claims that he's made about himself. He's made some pretty amazing claims about himself that say, okay, I'm either... He's, he is either crazy or he is the Son of God. He is the Christ. And so, uh, so now knowing that the time is here when he's going to be betrayed, knowing, knowing that the time is here when he's going to be mocked and beaten and scorned and ultimately murdered on the cross, it's coming. He's going to move toward a more private ministry, and he's going to focus in on his disciples. He's going to focus on those whom he's closest to. So I feel like the book of John just zooms closer and closer in, uh, almost like you're looking at like a, an image on Google Earth, like if you're trying to zoom in on something. I feel like John is kind of, is kind of doing that. Like you've got, you know, up to, up to this point in the entire book of John, we see Jesus' entire ministry of about three years or so, give or take. And then in chapter 12, it zooms in to like one week, you know, one week before Christ is crucified. But then in chapters 13 through 17, that's all going to zoom into one night. And so we're, we're covering one night in chapters 13 all the way through chapter 17. And so, so Jesus is, in this one night, Jesus is eating supper in the upper room with his disciples. It's Thursday night before the Passover. And so uh, during supper, Jesus is going to take on the role of a servant. And he, he humbles himself to wash the feet of his disciples. He's, he's going to humble himself to lower status than a Jewish servant would normally do. And he's displaying humility, and he's showing his disciples the way in which they should serve. And so in John 13, chapter 12, uh, this is going to be very important to what we read today, and so I just want to kind of go through this really quickly. John 13, 12 says, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. So remember this, because I believe that it's going to be very important in the text today. Jesus has given them specific instructions as to what they're, what they're supposed to do in response to who he is and to what he's done. And so... Then Jesus goes on to call out Judas Iscariot, right? He, Judas is in the room at that night. This man that's been so close to Christ throughout his ministry and throughout, throughout everything that he's done. And so he tells the disciples that one of them is going to betray him. So Peter is motioning to the disciple whom Jesus loved, which we believe is probably John. He's motioning to him across the room like, hey, ask Jesus who that is. Like, what, what's going on with that? And so... Uh, he asks, he asks Jesus, and Jesus tells him, it's he whom I have given the morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And so Jesus goes, and he dips the bread and gives it to Judas. And then the scripture says that Satan entered him. 
And so then Jesus tells Judas, what you're going to do, do it quickly. And so he, he puts into motion all that's about to happen leading up to his crucifixion. Jesus puts that into motion because it's, his time has come. And so that's where we are today. And uh, you can maybe imagine what the, what the disciples are feeling at this moment as, as Judas exits. And, uh, you know, he's been with them from the beginning, and now he's gone. He's completely gone. And so verse 28 even says that, that no one at the table really knew why, why Jesus told, told him to leave. And so they thought maybe Jesus was telling him that, they, that he needed to go and prepare some things for the feast because he was in charge of the money bag. So they're maybe confused at this point or they don't really know what's going on. And so Jesus, either way, is going to continue to reveal himself to his true followers. And that's why he, while he is making promises to them and strengthening them and commanding them in the way which they should live. And so that's what we're going to see here in this passage today, the, the, some of the things that, that Jesus is, is showing his true believers, the ones that have been closest to him throughout his life. And so John uh, chapter 13, 31 through 35 is where we're going to be today. Uh, and so we're going to read that text really quickly again. Phil read some of it this morning before we started. Uh, it says, When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and glorify Him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to you, just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And so as we go to the text today, I, I want to point two things out to you that, that we're going to see today, that, I, that I've seen in Scripture and that we're going to see today. Number one is the promises that Christ gives, the promises of Christ. And number two is the command of Christ. And I think that's, that's the two things that we're really going to see uh, as we walk through this passage today. So starting in verse 31, John says, when he had gone out, or when Judas had left the room, you know, Judas, Judas had, has just now left, and so now that's, that's the situation that we're in. Jesus said, now, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. And so Jesus says, now is the time. There have been many instances when others have tried to, throughout, throughout the gospel, when others have tried to take him and make him king, or tried to take him and kill him, or certain other things, but it was not his time. And Jesus made that very clear. John made that very clear throughout the gospel. It is not his time. Jesus is on a pre-appointed time. He is on a timeline where he is headed to the cross. And he has his eyes fixed on the cross. And so he's about to be taken from his disciples, right? And so this is, this is the last hours that he has with them to be able to spend in intimate community with his closest followers. So he's going to encourage them with these truths of what actually happened when he goes to the cross. Okay, so he says, now is the Son of Man glorified. And I think this is very important, and we've, we've mentioned this before throughout the book of John. Jesus refers to himself right here again as the Son of Man. Okay, and so... When Jesus is referring to himself as the Son of Man, if you'd like to study this title a little more in depth, uh, I think it's, it's really interesting to see the references here. Uh, but we're going to go through a little bit of D Daniel chapter 7 today. That, that's what Jesus is, uh, is drawing from when Daniel has this prophetic vision. And so Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14, 
It says, I I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him, the son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed." That's looking forward to Christ. Daniel is looking forward to Christ. And so the people of that time know this from their history, right? And when Christ gives this title, he's proclaiming himself, you know, first as human, because anyone can be a son of man. That's, that's a human. But at the same time, the exalted one, who is given all power and glory and authority and dominion forever. And so this is what Jesus is, is saying when he's saying this son of man, when he's giving this son of man uh, to reference himself. And so he's reminding the disciples that he's going to be glorified. And I believe with the way that the text is worded, he's trying to encourage them while preparing them for what's to come. He knows what they're about to experience. He knows what they're about to go through as, as a people. Uh, they're going to see the Lord, the one which they have spent at least three years with of their lives, be betrayed. He's going to be falsely tried. He's going to be mocked, beaten. He's going to be exposed in nakedness, scorned, and then ultimately hung on the cross having having lived an absolutely perfect life. And so he's trying to communicate with them that this was the plan from the beginning. Like, this this is not something that these evil people are triumphing over me. I am going to triumph over death. And so... This was the purpose, and and he's going to receive the most glory for it. And it's all about his glory. And so how was Christ glorified in this? He says, now is the Son of Man glorified. He's the one from God whom was chosen by God. He is the only one that could do this. He was clothed in humanity. He was completely God, but also completely human. And he lived a life of active obedience to the commands of the Father. He lived a perfect life. He fulfilled the law perfectly. He's the spotless, unblemished, sacrificial lamb that's going to be sacrificed on the cross from those whom the Father gave him. And he raised Christ up. God raised Christ up to be seated at his right hand forever in glory, to be resurrected and glorified with him. That is how Christ is glorified. So verse 31 says, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. So we see Christ is glorified by God, and then also uh, through his death on the cross and and through all that's going to follow, and at the same time, God is glorified in Christ. And so uh, that's, what, that's what Jesus is saying here. And think about it. We've, we've recently been talking about what it means to, to glorify God, right? We've been, we've been talking about that through the last couple of weeks. And, and when we're glorifying God, what, what are we doing? To glorify God means to live our lives in a way that reflects the greatness of God in all of his attributes. It means to manifest the attributes of God and to display his characteristics. When, we're, when, we're, when people see the glory of God in us, when, we see, when people see him displaying, people see us displaying his attributes, that's, that's what it means to glorify God. And so there's no greater time in history that the attributes of God were displayed than at the cross. And so how is, 
How is God being glorified by Christ here? God's love, his grace, his mercy, his power, his justice, his holiness. All of these things are being displayed very clearly on the cross that day. His mercy is displayed in him sparing us from the death that we deserve through Christ. He's merciful to us. His grace is unmerited favor, this favor that he has on us that that we don't deserve, but that he's given us through Christ. His power, when Christ triumphed over and defeated death, Christ defeated death on the cross, as well as those within evil authority. Uh, Colossians 2.15 says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him but definitely one that's going to carry over into the rest of our text today is the love that God has for us. The love that we can see on the cross that was displayed through Christ. His perfect love that looked upon sinners like you and me, sinners that were completely, that we hated him by nature. We showed him nothing, like we had nothing to give to him, and we absolutely showed no love in return to the love that he gave to us, but he continued to pursue us. He continued to love us. And if you're a believer today, you only love God because he first loved you. And that's, that's the love that we see in this passage. And I'm blown away by this type of love. It's like that flies back again. It's always, it always comes back. <laughs> so, so to give you one more look at these beautiful truths, Jesus is going to repeat this again in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. And so I want to jump forward to that. We're going to be there in a few weeks, but I, I want to jump forward to that and see, see, what, uh, see how this looks kind of like what we're seeing today. Uh, it says, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And so God is glorified in Christ through his perfect life and his death on the cross. And Christ is glorified by God through the cross and those events that happen those events that follow when he's raised up to be with God forever. And then John adds that he will not only be glorified, but he's going to be glorified at once. And so this is going to happen quickly. Death may be at the doorstep, but Christ is trying to get his disciples to lift their eyes and to be able to see that this is not the final. This is momentary and necessary. This is a necessary thing that has to happen, but it's only momentary, but his glory is forever and he will receive glory. So he even calls his disciples, he even goes on to call them little children. In verse 33, he says, Little children, yet a while I am with you. You seek me, as just as I had said to the Jews. You will seek me, and just as I had said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. So I learned that this little children, at first I was like, man, he's kind of, what's, what's he doing there? Uh, but this little children, it's, it's not actually treating them like children, but more showing Christ's kindness and affection toward them. Like you can see the intimacy that's in the room at that point. And so he cares so much about these guys. They're his closest friends, and he knows that this is going to be a really tough time for them. Like some of the disciples, even when you, when you look forward in, into the next couple of weeks, they can't understand. Like when Jesus is telling them that he's going to leave, like they're, they're just, they're blown away by that. They can't understand that. Like, no, God, no, Christ, you shouldn't go. And so 
He's trying to understand them, uh, to help them to understand and to prepare them. You're going to look for me, but you're, you're going to try to come to me, but you can't come. This is God's pre-appointed plan for me, and I'm the only one that can take on this task. That's what Jesus is telling, is trying to, trying to convey to his disciples at this point. And so then we, we go into the next portion of Scripture where we see the command of Jesus. And so this is of utmost importance to us in the church today. We see that Christ has us in mind too when he's, when he's given these commands to his disciples. I just kind of want to preface with this because he, he goes on to say in his high priestly prayer in, in John chapter 17 that he's not only praying for those with him at that time, not only praying for his disciples, but also for those who will believe in him through the words that are being passed down through the generations. And so we're going to cover this section more later, but uh, it definitely should ring true in the life of believers today. And so this applies to us today. And so in verse 34 and 35, he says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so the first time I, you know, I, I encountered these verses and really had to deal with these verses was, uh, was in a Master Life discipleship class at the BCM. And I, I, didn't, I actually didn't know Keith was coming today, so that's kind of strange. But it's, it's really cool to be able to see that. Uh, and so for any of you that may be in Master Life 1 right now, I'm sure you've, you should recognize this verse. And so Jesus knows that he's, he's not going to be with these men much longer. And so he emphasizes one of the most important commands that he's going to give to them in how they relate with one another and how, they, and how they live amongst one another. And he's going to say, love one another. And so that seems kind of, seems kind of easy. At first, seems kind of like a, not a difficult thing to understand. And so for the, from the first time I heard this verse, I, I wondered why Jesus said that this was a new command. Like, why, why does he say a new command I give to you? love one another. I mean, it doesn't sound like something new. Like in the law, in Leviticus 19 specifically, uh, there's commands from the Lord about loving your neighbor as yourself. Like, and so I, I couldn't really understand why this, was, why this was a new command. And so how is this new? And I think it comes from the, from the second part of that verse. Uh, Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. That's what Jesus is saying. So this is the newness of that command, just as Christ has demonstrated to them over and over and over throughout his ministry, that's how they are to love. They are to love with that standard. Jesus has raised the bar. The law was written as a standard, but no one on earth before Christ could come from this level of authority and saying, hey, this is how you're to love. You love the way that I loved you. He had loved perfectly. And remember, when John describes Jesus' love for his disciples at the beginning of chapter 13, he says in verse 1, he says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And so David explained a few weeks ago that the language means that he loved his own to completion. He loved them to completion. It was perfect and complete love for his disciples. And that's the standard to which we're to love. So as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And so Jesus gave this example, right, by washing his disciples' feet, by caring for his disciples uh, throughout his ministry, and by showing them that, you know, that he's supposed to, that, that whoever is going to be the greatest among you should humble themselves and should 
should sacrifice and should serve one another. And so that's what he's trying to say here. And so there's, when I'm thinking about this, I, I see two realities that kind of come out of this that we know to be true. Number one, we don't have the capability to love in that way. We don't have the capability to love perfectly. We're sinful humans. And, you know, as in anything good that we say or do or think, that can all be contributed to the love that, that God has given us, the love that we've received through Christ, right? So we're sinful. We can't do that. As 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. So you don't need me to stand here and tell you this. We all at times have had times when we failed at loving people and when people have failed us. So that's, there, there's not much that else that I can say about this that you don't already know. But So we can't live up to that standard. And, and he says, as I have loved you, you're also to love one another. If I'm trying to live up to this, I fail every time, right? But there is hope. There is hope. If you're a true believer, you have the Holy Spirit within you. Christ lives in us. He sent us his Holy Spirit to teach us and to correct us and to show us how to love. And so throughout the study and understanding of his word, we're being made into his likeness. We're being sanctified. We're being drawn near to him. And so that's how, that's how he loves us. He teaches us how to be like him, to display his characteristics and to be characterized by the fruit of the spirit, to be characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But all of these come from love, which come from our eyes being fixed on Christ. That's, that's the only way that this is going to happen, is if our eyes are fixed on Christ. And I know that this may be difficult for us to see, because maybe, maybe you have a distorted view of love. Maybe nobody told you that they loved you. Maybe nobody has, has ever expressed that to you. Or maybe when it got hard, some of the people that told you that they loved you just decided to give up, to walk out, to abandon you. Maybe your experience with love was, was all lip music. You know, people were saying that they loved you, but their actions and, and the, their expressions and the things that they did didn't, didn't show that. And so I probably can't identify with your specific experiences, but I can say that without a doubt, that Christ loves perfectly, that his love is perfect, that he knows us fully. He knows the evil intentions of our heart. He knows the badness and the ugliness that's within us, and he still chooses to love us, and he still loves us perfectly. He still pursues us day after day. And so that is the love that we should be characterized by as believers, the love that reflects the goodness of Christ and that knows no bounds. We're being sanctified and we're being brought near to him so that we can love in the way that he loves. That's how we're called to love one another. And so verse 35 says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So we should be characterized by our love for other believers, right? That's what this, that's what this whole section is saying. Others outside of the church should, should see a difference in us. They should see something that, that makes us look different, that, that stands out in the way that we care for one another, in the way that we talk to one another, the way that we treat one another, the way that we call each other out lovingly when we see our brother or sister is, is struggling in something or is doing something wrong, the way we encourage one another. So I'm, 
I can say when I was going through this this week, I, I'm thankful for this personally. And, and as as I was preparing, I could I could just see this this coming out, this thankfulness to God because I, I couldn't help but thank Him for for the guys that are that are involved in my community group. You know, we're all a bunch of bunch of knuckleheads. You know, we do some pretty ridiculous things, but I, I know that 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 those guys have a love for me that's willing to call me out when I'm when I'm doing something wrong, when I'm stepping in the wrong direction, when I'm not loving my wife the way I'm supposed to, the way that I the way that I should be caring for her, as Christ loved the church, then they're gonna call me out on that. But also at the same time, to provide me encouragement as a friend, as a brother in Christ, and also as their pastor. And I I cannot say how thankful I am for that. So God has continued to show me more and more and more the importance of the way that we care for one another as believers. And so that's the reason we set our community groups up the way that, the way that we did, the way that they are. Uh, we function as a family, and we want those outside of our community to be able to, to, be able to see that, many be- that believers, the way that we interact with each other is, is good, and that that... that the way that we interact with one another as believers would point them toward a relationship with Christ, would point them toward, toward the gospel and toward Christ. We want our Lord, we want our love toward one another to point them toward Jesus Christ and to know that he is the only source of everlasting truth and everlasting love. So, so what are some of the implications, I guess, that we can draw from, from this sermon. Uh, you know, I, as I was thinking through it, I was like, man, there's, there's probably a million applications, different things that, that we can go through in our lives, uh, you know, that talk about loving one another and caring for one another. And so I think, uh, you know, I just tried to come up with some of the major implications that I encountered when I was studying this text, when I was going through this text. Uh, number one, if we are trying to love out of our own will or our own strength, we're going to fail miserably. And we're probably just going to hurt the people that, that we're trying to love in the process. And so my first question is, what, what has shaped your idea of what love is? Like, how can, like what, what has shaped, what, what in your life has shaped what you believe love to be? And so how can you believe in and submit to the perfect love that Christ has displayed for us in the gospel? Like, he's displayed perfect love in this gospel. He loves his disciples, and he loves you, and he cares for you. So how can we, how can we display that? How can we submit to that? And what lies from the enemy are we believing that keep us from trusting in this perfect love? That keep us from trusting in this, that, that when, we see, when we see love maybe that, that wasn't displayed correctly in our lives, what keeps us from, from believing in the love that Christ has for us? And so if you're somebody in this room today that, that would not characterize yourself as a believer, I pray, that, I pray that you would trust in the love that Christ has for us, that you, would, that you would see his perfect love on display and that that would allow you to be able to be in community with him and to love him and to, and to care for him because he cares for you. And I, I pray that, that the, maybe the issues that you see among church among church families or maybe in church families that you've been in in the past, I pray that those would not point you away from Christ because he can love you in a way that we cannot. He loves you perfectly. And so I pray that today that we as, that we as believers, the way that we interact with one another may not always be the best and, and it may not be lifting up to Christ. And, and so I pray that, that we would not deter you from the love that Christ has for you.
And so, for believers in this room, how are we doing loving other Christians, right? That's the obvious question that, that comes from this. How are we doing loving other people in our church family, loving others uh, in our communities that are believers? First, are, are you involved in any type of community in this church? Are you involved in anything that would help you to become close with others? I think the stigma of the, of the Baptist church for, for a while, just in, I guess in my experience in early, my early years growing up, uh, is that for a long time we were okay with just kind of keeping ourselves at a distance. Like, like I, I want to know you a little bit, but I don't really want to get into community with you because at that point, then I learned the, the bad things about you. Then I learned the things that are not so desirable. And so... Uh, you know, if I, get to, if I get to know you too well, I'm exposing myself to you also. And so I would encourage you, if, if you're a believer in this church, please get involved with community. This is, this is tough sometimes, but it's necessary. It's necessary, and it's going to help you to grow as a believer. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely a special way for us to, you know, we always say this, to demonstrate the gospel tangibly and to cl- declare the gospel creatively to, a, to our community. Like, that's... That's the way that we do that, by loving and caring for one another. And so we're actually going to have some, uh, you know, if you're, if you're interested in this, we're actually going to have some avenues pretty soon uh, to, where, to where we're going to try to start new community groups. And so that would be a, a good time to, to jump on and to, and to start to, uh, to get involved with this process. So we'll be giving you updates kind of on, on training coming for that. So that may be a, a direct application from this. Okay, and also, is there, is there any disunity that needs to be dealt with among you? Uh, you know, between your Christian brothers or sisters, is there, is there any disunity that needs, to, that needs to be dealt with? How can we truly have love for one another that reflects Christ's love if we have disunity among one another? It, it seems like, I guess, because of the way that our, that our church is growing, that we've been praying for unity a lot, and we've been fighting, trying to fight against disunity in prayer, and... Uh, you know, that's happened a lot in the last couple of months, so I would encourage you, if there is a grievance between you and someone else in this church, uh, I pray that you would humble yourselves and strive to make things right with that person, that the love of Christ would draw you to, to make amends with that person and to love them and to care for them. As unique members of the body, we need one another. Like Maybe we don't understand that, maybe we don't see that directly, but we need one another. Sometimes we're not able to see it. But we need those around us. We all have different roles. We all do different things. We need those people around us. And so as we take community today, uh, community, as we take communion today, and as we drink from the cup and eat of the bread in remembrance of Christ's blood and, and of Christ's body, we're going to ask that if you're not in unity with one of your brothers or sisters in Christ, that you take every opportunity to make this right and to be unified with your brothers and sisters before you take communion today. And so I've seen many quarrels and issues and, and different things that were kind of festering in this church actually taken care of in this way. People calling each other, you know, to go in the hall or to do different things and, and uh, making it right and unifying among one another. And so I pray that today uh, that we would be able to see that we would be able to see Christ glorified in the unification of, of, of our people if there's, any, if there's any disunity going on. And I pray that we would be like Paul uh, when he says in Colossians 3, verses 12 through 13, he says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. 
And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And so last, is it evident by your love for your brothers and sisters? That's the last uh, implication that I came up with. Is it evident by your love for your brothers and sisters that you are a follower of Christ? Is it evident by, by the way that we do things? Can people see, based on, based on how we love one another, if we are believers in Christ? How would you be characterized by those who are not Christians based on the way that you treat other Christians? And so is your love for one another giving you opportunities to share the gospel with those around you, giving you opportunities and, and ways to, to cultivate gospel conversation? And so my prayer is that that we would continue to see and to affirm that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the son of God. And just as John says in his purpose for writing this gospel, that our belief in him would continue to manifest itself in glorifying his name. That's what we're here for, right? We're here to glorify him. Specifically, though, in striving to imitate the perfect love that we see in Christ. His love is perfect and he is here for you. And he wants, to, he wants to show you that perfect love today. So I just wanted to encourage you with that. And uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you've pointed out clearly to us your glory. The glory that we see from you on the cross. How you are glorified and how the Father is glorified through your work on the cross through taking on our sin and our shame and dying in our place as a substitute for us. God, I I thank you so much that, that you have declared to us today, that you have communicated to us that we are to love one another. And God, I pray that, that if there's disunity among, among those within this room, or that if there's disunity among those with other Christians, Lord, that you would that you would allow them to be able to be in, in, in community with one another as they're humble and as they, uh, God, as they share grievances with one another, Lord, that, that, you, would be, that you would be glorified in allowing, allowing them to be unified, Father. God, I thank you for the hope that we have in Christ, and we know that this is the only way that we can love one another effectively is if we love through the love that Christ has given to us. If we are continuously transformed and sanctified by his word. And so, Father, today, uh, we thank you for your gospel. We thank you for, the, for what we see about you, for, for the characteristics of you that are displayed and God, we pray that, that as, we, as we continue to go on with this service, as we sing songs to you, that we would worship you this morning for the love that you've given us, but also for everything else. God, we thank you for, for all that you are, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.